We're going to be in Psalm 13 this morning. Go ahead and uh, open your Bibles and uh, turn there. Uh, perhaps when you were a child, you might have a memory of a time when you were forgotten by your parents. You were waiting to be picked up by them, and they never came. Or maybe it took them a long time. Or maybe some of you as parents have uh, to admit that you have forgotten to pick up your kids. Now, as a child, I can think back about times, not necessarily where I remember that, that happening, but as children, we can do this uh, strange uh, kind of daydreaming in which we imagine what it would be like if our parents never came and picked us up, which relatives we would go to, to live with, or would we go to an orphanage. We can kind of, as we're waiting for our parents, be imagining what exactly would it be like. Well, the longer your parents take in coming for you, the more that turns from this kind of enjoyable daydreaming to true panic. What if my parents never come back? You fear being abandoned. Perhaps you are joining in this morning and you feel that God has taken too long. You can look back and remember much happier times. Times of closeness with him. Times where you sang with eagerness of, of, of joyfully serving him, of obvious blessing. You can think back on those better times, and though you've still been faithful, now things don't seem right. What do you do when you begin to fear that God has abandoned you, that he's not coming back? When he seems to have stopped blessing your life? When it's been so long since you've enjoyed fellowship with him? When your heart is just aching from the suffering you've been through? And that ache won't let up. Maybe that describes you this morning. And if it doesn't describe you, there's definitely someone in your life who's going through something like that. This morning, we're going to listen to David's own working through the question of what do you do when God takes too long? This psalm is short. It's just, verse six, it's just six verses long. But it models for us how to continue in faith. I'm going to read to you now Psalm 13, and I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, this, this psalm of David that your Holy Spirit inspired him to write. 
And we know that it is instructive to us of what we are to do when, when it seems like you have just taken too long. And I pray, Lord, that you would work through your word, uh, that your spirit would be applying it to our hearts so that your son is exalted in our affections and so that we glorify you when it seems like you're taking too long. In Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 13 this morning, we're going to see three ways we are to respond to God when it has been too long since we've experienced his blessing. We're going to see three ways we are to respond to God when, it, when it's been too long since we've experienced his blessing. Now, I say that cautiously because I know that we are all theologically bright enough to know that we're always experiencing his blessing, that all of us should admit at any time, I'm blessed. We know that we're all getting better than we deserve, that what we deserve is hell. So can we really ever say that it's been too long since we've enjoyed God's blessing? But by blessing, I mean since we've been confident of God's smile, since we've been enjoying his approval, since we've been thrilled by singing his praises, since we've been in that kind of relationship with him in which we are eager to to, to be with God's people, to meet with God, that is when we can meet, meet with one another in person. What do you do when it's been too long since you've enjoyed that kind of blessing? There's gonna be three ways we see from the psalm we need to respond. And the first is honestly express your complaints to God. And we're gonna see that in verses one and two. Honestly express your complaints to God. In verses 1 and 2, David brings his complaints to God. And and by complaints, I don't mean that David complains like, like Israel complained in the wilderness. David is not whining here. David's complaint is more than a self-righteous, I'm not getting what I deserve, God. There's, there's not pride in this, in this complaint he's bringing to God. Instead, he's bringing his heavy burdens, his, 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 his crushing lamentations, even his grievances about how God has seemingly abandoned him. God's present actions or his inaction seems irreconcilable with God's past commitments to David. The way that God is currently acting doesn't match up with with what God has said that he'll do. See, David's experience of God has changed. There's an absence of blessing like there once was. David reminds us of of Job and the suffering that Job went through or or Joseph while he was sitting in prison, though God had promised him his his brothers were going to be bowing down to him or or Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and you can imagine him in that well. David asks four times in these two verses, how long, O Lord? This is not certainly the first time in the psalm that David has brought his concern to the Lord. But now he's tired of the disappointment. He's fatigued by sadness. He's, he's, he's a broken man and he can't go on. So he, he pleads with the Lord for an answer. When will this heartache end, O Lord? Where are you, O Lord? Now David in this prayer has not gone rogue. He's still coming to the Lord, the only God. And we see Lord with capital letters there. It's Yahweh. 
This is the God who chooses to enter into an everlasting relationship with undeserving sinners. This is the God who, who enters into an unbreakable covenant with, with, with us because he loves us. And that's what God is still doing in this new covenant age. David goes to God knowing that God is the only one that can alleviate the weight he feels, that, that can take away this, 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 this pain. He knows that God has that power to intervene with blessing. But where is God? David asks. Now the nature of David's suffering in this verse is not clear. Perhaps it was, it was opposition from David's enemies. Perhaps he was going through physical suffering. I think as you read this psalm, uh, it, 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 it could be either, both of those, or a mixture of them. Both are plausible in this psalm, and both in our lives are often experienced by emotional turmoil. And that's definitely what David is going through here. In verse 1, David in, in interprets his, his suffering as God's abandonment of him. In Psalm 13, it begins, How long, Lord? And he breaks off mid-sentence. He doesn't even finish his question there. He just says, How long, O Lord? It's extreme emotion. His, his voice cracks. Verse 1 continues, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David's emotional interpretation of God's silence is that God has forgotten him. That God has not responded to David's prayers. Now, David isn't thinking that God is no longer aware of him. He, it's more about whether God still approves of David. Whether God is still helping him. Whether God has turned his back on David. See, after so much after, after David had experienced so much grace from God, God appears distant and unmotivated to act. See, with an all-knowing, omnipresent God who's everywhere at once, forgetting can only be intentional. That's what David is facing. God, you're choosing to forget me. Hiding one's face is a picture of rejection. He's talking about a, a lack of closeness with God, a lack of intimacy, that God is unwilling to bless him. God's face shining on someone is a pathway to their being blessed by God. Like it says in Psalm 31, verse 16, make your face shine on your servant. Turn your attention to me, God. Save me in your steadfast love. If you look at me, Lord, I'll be saved. The psalmist says in Psalm 31, or, or in, in Numbers 6.25, part of the uh, uh, blessing that the priest gave over the people of Israel. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. To, to, to be in front of God's face was to be experiencing God's grace. But instead, David is like someone in a, in a hospital bed who keeps pushing the button for the nurse to come and again and again. And it's not just that the nurses are busy with other patients or that the nurses are between shifts. The nurse is right there at the door and, 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 and David, the patient, keeps pushing on the button and the nurse, in this analogy, God is just looking and doing nothing. That's how David feels. That God's unwilling to help though he could. And perhaps you're thinking that, that, that maybe 
God is responding to, to David's sin. That maybe David has, has, has been not walking with the Lord. But there's no indication of this in the psalm that David has rebelled against God. There's, there's, there's no repentance here. We should take from that that David is aware, is, is aware of, that, of no sin interrupting his relationship with God. He doesn't know why God has gone missing. He can't look and say, well, I've been cold-hearted and stubborn. I've been distant from God. No, there's, there's no sign of that. It's just God's absence. And these are such sad words from David who so often expressed his delight and his longing for God's presence. This is the same David who said with confidence in Psalm 11 verse 7, the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And David is like, I'm one of those, but I'm not beholding God's face. Where is he? Or in Psalm 17, verse 15, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And he, he keeps waking up and he's not being satisfied. Where did this darkness come from, David wonders. Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's such a good question. Is that your one thing? It's David's one thing in the psalm. He's like, I just want to know and see God. I I want to, to be so aware of his attributes and of his grace and of his blessing. But he wasn't experiencing it. Psalm 27 Verse 8, David again says, You have said, seek my face. God, you've called me to seek your face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. That's what David's doing here. But God has turned his back. In David's suffering, he feels God as cold and distant, unwilling to be moved, silent. He might as well be shouting underwater. And I don't know if you've ever been, been underwater and, uh, and screamed. And if you're under the water, you can hear someone else scream. But if you're above the water, you can't hear anything. David might as well be under the water screaming, God, rescue me, deliver me, help me, I'm drowning. But God is above the water and doesn't hear any of it. That's how David feels. But notice in, these, in this verse, David never doubts God's ability to alleviate his suffering. He doesn't question God's power. So David wonders, why isn't God willing to intercede? Have you ever felt like God has turned his face away from you? And maybe that is you this morning. Maybe you've been wondering why things have been so hard. Perhaps God is not giving you what you've so often prayed for. A spouse, children, a really satisfying job, health, or maybe just simply joy, the joy you used to have with the Lord. Perhaps you at one time enjoyed God's blessing on your marriage. It was so obvious, but now things feel feel so much more complex and there's disappointments and hurts that are piling up and, and you have to work really hard to avoid quarreling with your spouse just doesn't seem as blessed as once was. Or, or maybe you seemed at one time more blessed in your job, where, where every decision you made got the approval of your boss, and now nothing really seems to go right. 
Maybe at one time you enjoyed more of God's blessing at church, or at least it felt that way. That is when you could go to church, but still, it's part of the body of Christ. You're using your gifts in one another's lives, I trust, by God's grace. One time you just loved church, but now, you know, there's kind of a history of different relationships there and different people that either have offended you or you've offended, and there's more strain. And using your gifts used to bring you delight, but now it's become a little bit of a chore. You don't even know what your gifts are anymore. And as I said, maybe you just don't, aren't experiencing as much blessing in your spiritual life. You used to be eager. You remember what it was like to get up in the morning and, 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 and dive into his word and, and you just felt like you could bring up precious treasure every time you went down. But now things are so dry and your hands come up with sand. You, you could carry on through all the disappointments of life if only God were more satisfying. And maybe that's you this morning. You've been asking the Lord, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In the beginning of verse 2, David describes how God's silence and, 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 and God's a, a, a apparent lack of motivation to do anything for David, it, it's, it's psychologically and emotionally affected David. The beginning of verse 2, it says, How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day without hearing from God? David has been taking counsel in his soul. David is on his own trying to figure out, Why has this happened? What have I done? How can things go back to how they were? But David is only talking to himself. With God silent, David provides both questions and answers, and he's stuck. He's, he's like an animal that's, that's chasing its own tail, or, or a hamster running on a wheel. He's getting nowhere with his questions. He doesn't uncover anything new. In fact, when you know, when you're stuck in it, when you take counsel in, in your own heart, you just start coming up with wrong answers, and you start doubting God's goodness and his faithfulness. It's all so emotionally exhausting for David. He says he has sorrow in my heart all the day. From sunrise to night watch, David is, is nearly overwhelmed by this sorrow, by, by this deep grief. Even this, this word can be translated agony. It's the word used by the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 8 verse 18. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. It's like an endless dusk that is, that is always almost night, but not quite. The sadness just drags on. Or like a dawn and it never becomes day. It's just always stuck there in this, in this grayness. Now, no doubt, David's circumstances were reason for sorrow. But much worse was that an omnipotent God was unwilling to intervene. Brothers and sisters, it is exhausting when we get in the habit of taking counsel in our soul. When kind of that, 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 that dialogue with God becomes just an internal monologue or internal dialogue even worse. We start to lose clarity. It becomes hard to think straight. We're lost in a labyrinth of our own reasoning. We doubt whether God loves us, whether God has forgiven us, whether his grace is actually for us, 
or whether it just belongs to other happy Christians. Saints, tell God of the fatigue you're experiencing. He would hear from his children. Don't stop praying to him. Pray out loud if need be. Find a place alone. And, 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 and so that people don't think you're crazy when you're, you are praying out loud. But, but that can help your conversation be spoken to God rather than, than you just getting trapped talking to yourself again. Pour out your complaint to God like David is here. In the second half of verse 2, we see another dimension of David's suffering. He says, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And we don't know enough of, of, of the details of David's situation to know whether the exaltation of David's enemies is the initial cause of David's suffering. Is, is, is this why this psalm was written because of how his enemies are exalting over him? Or is there exaltation following this 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 what this distraughtness that David is going through, this, this humbling he's going through? But this, but the situation presents a problem for David. The wicked win while the righteous suffer. Justice is driving recklessly backwards. God's enemies should be humbled before God's anointed king and not the opposite. To all onlookers, God appears to be favoring God's enemies over David. Now, no doubt, David despises the shame. Embarrassment is horrible to go through. But David's concern is not likely only for himself. His concern at the very least includes, and, and, it, and it probably is, at least I think, primarily for God's glory. For, for God's glory, how he tied his glory to this anointed King David. David's life was this public stage for God to display his, his glory, for God to display his character, just as our lives are. And yet, the wicked are exalting over us. We cry out to God, how long? How long will the wicked triumph over the righteous? In our apartments and our homes, where, where we cry out as those who rejected God's authority. They, they have spouses, or they have children, but, but the godly are, are lonely and barren. We cry out, how long, O Lord, in jobs, where those who are willing to turn a blind eye towards all kinds of law-breaking, are the ones who get the advancement. We cry out how long in our financial struggles, where we know that those who are not being faithful in marriage have an abundance, where we don't have two dimes to rub, rub together, some of us. We cry out how long in our classrooms, where the godless get the praise and the biblically faithful Christians are scorned. We cry out how long in families where, where, where those who, who, who believe in Jesus Christ are, are, are ostracized or in families where, 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 where we don't see the joy of our kids believing in Christ instead of walking away from Christ. We cry out how long, Lord, in countries where the church is forced underground and where Christians are thrown out in jail, we cry out, how long, O Lord? As the wicked seem to triumph. 
So David calls out, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, four times. Now notice, he doesn't settle. He doesn't say, well, I guess this is the new normal. I guess I'm just going to go on in the spiritual dusk. No, he's not satisfied with it. He keeps going to God. How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? So you saints, don't settle. Keep going after God wanting more. And I don't just mean more blessing like that thing that God is not giving you which you wish he would. I, I, I mean the joy of knowing and loving him. Don't settle. And neither does he accept a, 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 a substitute instead of God. He doesn't say, how long, Lord, really looking forward to the weekend? How long, Lord, that Amazon package should be arriving any minute? How long, Lord, I can't wait till the next time I get to go and experience this really great meal? He's not, he's not accepting cheap, cheap sub, uh, sub, substitutes Excuse me, during this time. No, he keeps going to God, calling out, how long, O Lord? See, this fourfold repetition reveals David's exhaustion with God's timetable. Even a righteous impatience. But he doesn't use God's delay as an excuse to rage against God. He doesn't use God's delay as an excuse to go after other gods. He doesn't use God's delay as an excuse to go after secret sins. Instead, he once again presents his reasoned request to God. And that's what we see in verses three and four. In verses one and two, he honestly expresses his complaints to God as we should. Our lamentation, we're supposed to bring our burdens to him. And next, we are to present our reasoned request to God. Present your reasoned request to God. Again and again, don't stop. In the beginning of verse three, David says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Consider, look here, God. Turn your attention back toward me. Looking is a prelude to action. Don't ignore me, Lord. Answer, respond to my request, Lord. Act immediately. The situation, Lord, is urgent. He's waving his hands, not like a spoiled child who, who, who can't wait a minute without his parents' attention, but like someone who's trapped in a burning building pleading for help. Answer, listen. And then he says in the second half of verse three, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. That, 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 that light up my eyes, it's an interesting phrase for, 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 for being revived. It's used in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 14, verses 27 and 29. It describes how, how David's friend Jonathan Jonathan had not heard his father Saul's charge, uh, the people with the oath, which is not to eat until the battle was done. So he put the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb. And, and, and Jonathan put his hand to his mouth with, with this honey and his eyes became bright. Jonathan's strength was, was renewed. He opens that, that Gatorade or that can of Coke, guzzles it back and says, I feel better. Bright eyes were a way to express, express life. And, and, and we see it in Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were undimmed and, and his vigor unabated. He, he, he still had youth. He had vitality. His eyes were undimmed. 
And so David is praying in this second half of verse 3, bring me back to the vitality of life by answering my prayer, Lord. Revive me, Lord. Restore me, Lord. Nothing would, would, would bring more life to David than knowing God's favor. Oh, to enjoy walking faithfully with the Lord again. Not that David was walking faithfully, but he wants to enjoy it. He just doesn't want to be clocking in and clocking out. He doesn't want a spiritual life to be some kind of factory existence of doing Bible time and going to work. He wants to, to enjoy the Lord. Oh, saints, don't get tired pleading with the Lord to enjoy walking with him. Now, David presents this request of, of, of listen or, or look, consider, and answer, enlighten. He, he, he has reasons here. And the first reason is, is, is not explicitly stated, but it's there. He says in the beginning of verse 13, Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, O Yahweh, my God. Lord, and we see it there in, in, in capital letters, that's the covenant name of God. The basis of David's request is God's own promise-making nature. Yahweh is still David's God. He says, my God. He's not offering or, 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 or making requests at other altars. David will still stay faithful to the faithful God, to the God who keeps his covenants. He's saying, Yahweh, and there's a, there's a plea there. Yahweh, this is your nature, God. Come and help me. Listen. Answer. Brighten up these eyes, Lord. And why? why? Why does he say, light up my eyes in the second half of verse 3? Lest I sleep the sleep of death. David was being crushed by his circumstances. If God didn't intervene, David felt as if he would die. Perhaps this was actual physical death, or when, whether from sickness or being killed by enemies, or, or possibly, and I, I kind of lean this way, a passionate way of describing David's emotional state. And if you have been depressed, you know that feeling, I'm going to die if you don't intervene, Lord. David was crushed. He was despairing of life. He was on, on life support, and he needed God's intervention. He knew God could raise the shades on the dark room that he was tramped in. He knew that God could throw open the gates of this emotional dungeon he was locked in. Psalm 13 verse 4, he gives another reason. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, David says. Don't let my foes rejoice. Don't let them win. See, if God doesn't intervene, David faces the prospect of his enemies gloating over him. Those who've wrestled with him will have outlasted him and won. They will shout out in joy at the sight of David tottering, of him stumbling, of him, of him slipping from the stability he once enjoyed. His enemies are, are, are like vultures waiting for a sick animal to die so that they can get a tasty bite. That's pretty gross. But the shame, the shame is not just personal for David. See, David was God's anointed king. God's reputation was tied with David. David's downfall would bring reproach upon God's goodness. And so he says, don't let my foes rejoice over me. When David tottered, it would look like one of two things. 
that, that, that God's enemies, the wicked, were the righteous ones, or that God himself was tottering, that God wasn't strong enough to uphold David. See, David brings a reasoned request to God because God cares what happens to his children in this life now. God cares what happens to you, dear brothers and sisters. He cares about your emotions. He cares about your desires to please and obey him. He cares about you experiencing joy in worship. He cares about your unmet longings. He doesn't promise to grant all them, but he cares about your unmet longings, your sufferings for his name. He cares for those. He cares about your daily provision. He cares about your physical health. None of these concerns are trivial to him. God doesn't delight in your affliction. He knows what is happening when his face is, is turned away. He delays but has not forgotten. He refrains but hasn't rejected. He waits, but he doesn't have wrath for you who are in Christ Jesus. As God said to Abraham in Genesis 51, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. And that is true of you who are in Christ Jesus. You may not get all the blessings you want in this life, but your reward will be very great. God rewards those who diligently seek him. That is the nature of faith. As Paul says in Romans 8, verses 37 to 39, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that love of God in Christ Jesus, is that love of God his love for you? Are you in that covenant relationship with God? There's no greater question than that. Is the God of the Bible your God? See, you can be right with God. Peter, in the first sermon of 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 Acts 2, he had some hard words for the people of of, of Israel in Acts 2.36. And at the end of that first sermon, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, sovereign and Savior, this Jesus whom you crucified, and he ends. And for those who had crucified him, that would have been bad news. He said, this Jesus, this Messiah, this King, this Savior, you've killed. And Israel would know that that, that that Messiah would be the one who judged. For Israel, that wasn't good news. They're cut to the heart, but it's not the end. And listen to what Peter says next in Acts 2, verses 38 to 39. And if you are not sure, if you are in a covenant relationship with God, this is good news for you. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, including for them killing their own Messiah. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And that's you who are listening this morning. 
Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If God is calling you this morning, if you realize that I am not in a right relationship with God, that I've been shaking my fist at God, I haven't been submitting to God, I don't know if I'm in that right, if, if I'm in that covenant with God, or maybe you know that you know that you aren't in that right relationship with God. He says to you, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. You can be forgiven as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He died to take the place of sinners. You can be confident of God's forever smile upon you. You will go through times when it feels like his face is turned away, but you can be confident. No, he is my God. Yahweh is my God. Is that you? Are you in that covenant relationship with God? Has he, has he, are you, have you entered into that relationship with him? He will never break off his care for his people. We're going to move to our next point in just a minute. When you make a reasoned request to God, what is your lest, right? So, so, so David in, 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 in Psalm 13 verse 4 says, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over me. Or, or in the end of verse 3, lest I sleep the death. See, he, he, he brings a reason. What is the reason you're bringing to God in your current situation, in your current sadness? Maybe you've been pleading with God to restore you to joy. When you call to God to look, to consider you, to answer you, what is the basis of your appeal? What is your lust? Do you desire for his glory to be so pronounced on this stage of your life? That even in your present suffering, you go to him and say, God, I want you to be glorified. Restore me to joy so that people can see how great of a God you are. Are you concerned for his reputation among his enemies? Or, or is, 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 is your prayer linked into saying, God, I'm only going to be alive here for so long, and I want everyone watching to know that you are a great God? Keep pleading that way in your prayers. Pray to say, say, God, please, please come to me and, and lighten my eyes. Answer me and listen to me. But let it be for the sake of God's glory. And saints, if you don't receive an answer from the Lord, keep praying. Pray tomorrow this way and pray the day after that. Glorify him by going to him. Don't, don't, don't be tempted to start drifting to other altars so that you can get an answer that you crave, so that you can get some kind of, of temporary joy. He is the only one who can lighten your eyes. That really is a blessing of this uh, COVID experience we're going through. So many of those things we have so often and so easily looked to for joy have been stripped away. We can't just hang out with friends. There's so many things we can't do that we once did. Let, let this, this, this time, let this emptiness that some of you are experiencing drive you to daily bring these kind of reasoned requests to God. So we saw what we are to do when God is taking too long. We honestly express our complaints to God. We present our reasoned requests to God. And then we confess our confidence and we commit to worshiping the one true God. Confess your confidence and commit to worship. 
See, David knows what will happen if God doesn't, doesn't intervene. His strength is sapped. His eyes dim. His lips have forgotten how to turn upward in a smile. He faces the prospect of his enemies rejoicing over his demise. But David doesn't get stuck in those what ifs. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This verse begins with an emphatic, but I, but as for me, this is my commitment. David's request to God has been made and now David reveals to God what he will do. Regardless of how God responds, no matter matter how long it takes for the universal king to extend his scepter and grant David's request, he says, but as for me, I have trusted in your steadfast love. And David will continue. He's not just saying, past tense, you know, I used to trust in your steadfast love. This is perfect, has has a present uh, effect to it. David will continue trusting God as he has in the past. He will continue to trust in God's steadfast love, his loving kindness, his covenant-making love, his covenant-keeping love, his loyal love, his committed love. David's trust is an ongoing trust, regardless of how God chooses to answer the prayer, whether God keeps his face turned away till his last breath. He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. He will not accuse God of breaking his covenant. See, David is confident what the future will ultimately hold. Even if many of his prayers aren't answered in this life, he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Whether salvation from death, enemies, or these desolate, depressing feelings, or lack of, God's deliverance is certain. So he says, I'm going to rejoice. And that word rejoice, a commentary says, it, it is to express joy energetically. It's perhaps even without words. It's perhaps a yell, a shout, a roar. David will enthusiastically rejoice when he sees God's deliverance dawn and he knows it's coming. When God enters the stadium on David's David's behalf, David will cheer wildly. When God arrives on the battlefield with his big guns, David will erupt in exultation. But David doesn't say that he will wait to rejoice in his salvation until he has seen it. See, we can rejoice in future salvation now. Salvation is on the way. It's like crowds whose whose favorite team is, is in the middle of an incredible comeback. And it's overtime. And their team has the ball in the opponent's zone. The victory isn't theirs yet, but the crowds are cheering wildly. See, we don't have to wait till we see his victory. We know it's certain it's coming. The darkness is not eternal. Your darkness will not be eternal if you are in Christ Jesus. Your suffering will not last. Your shame will be passing. You will rejoice in God's salvation, brothers and sisters. It'll be in his way, in his time, but you will rejoice in his salvation. David's heart will rejoice, and he goes on, I will sing to the Lord in verse 6. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. See, David has plenty of reason to lift his voice. God has not been stingy with David as he looks back. 
God's goodness to David has been full. It's, it, it's, it, it's like a tree laden with fruit at harvest. He has dealt bountifully with me. David can look back now and rejoice at how God has been good in the past, how, how generous he's been. David expresses his commitment to sing based on what God has done, even before God has acted again, even as he don't know, how am I going to see God acting again? He said, I'm going to sing. David will sing God's praises even while God's face is turned away. Oh, what a picture of faith that is. Oh, saints, how bountifully God has dealt with us in Christ Jesus. We have reason to sing. He has chosen us. He has proclaimed the gospel to us. We were we're, were blessed to hear the gospel where billions haven't. He's called us. He's regenerated us. He's granted us repentance. He's given us faith. He's humbled us. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us. He's reconciled us to himself. He sealed us with his spirit. He sanctified us and he will glorify us. Open your lips and sing in your darkness. In your darkness and in your doubt, remember your past trust in God's covenant with you. You listened to his gospel promises. There were promises there of forgiveness and of cleansing, of reconciliation, of righteousness. You were, you entered into into that covenant. You were sprinkled with that blood of Christ. You were sealed with his spirit. You who have believed in Christ Jesus, you are in that covenant relationship with God. You are loved by God, brothers and sisters. You are the object of his eternal, unbreakable covenant loyalty. You are, and Paul says this many times, you are in Christ. So confess your confidence in his promises and look forward to rejoicing in his salvation as you will. Those who continue in faith, believing that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, will be delivered by him. You will be saved from Satan. You will be saved from sin. You will be saved ultimately from death. You will be saved from sadness. You will be saved from suffering. You will be saved from slander. Often his saints experience deliverance in this life, often, but not always. But every saint will experience eternal and final deliverance in all of those things I've just said. Your eyes will be eternally enlightened. Your darkness will not last. The light of the world is the one light of heaven. The Son of God is the one Son of heaven. He will be your eternal day and you will see nothing but his face for eternity. Your heart will rejoice in your salvation. Oh, we've experienced in Christ so much salvation already. We are those who rejoice in the Lord. But that rejoicing we do now is just the first note, the first note of the forever song that we will eternally sing. We rejoice now, but it's just just the first note. Brothers and sisters, God's watch is not broken. God's not asleep while your prayers go go unanswered. God has not silenced his alarm. He has not forgotten you. He is watching while he waits. 
He is sustaining you even as he stays his delivering hand. He is helping you even as he, he holds back his rescue. He's helping you as he, holds back his, as he holds back his rescue. The fact that you are here this morning, listen, and I hope your heart is crying out, even now that you are honestly expressing your complaints to God, and you're bringing reason requests to God, and, and, and in your heart is, is blossoming confidence and a commitment to him. His plan is for, your glory, for his glory and for your good. He always executes his plan with flawless perfection, with perfect precision on his timetable. Everyone loves a good heist movie. And you know those where, 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 where there's an elaborate plot to steal something, often from a vault that, that no one should ever be, 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 be able to find their, their way into. It's an unbreakable vault. And often in these heist movies, you know, kind, of, kind of the fun is the walking through the plan. It involves a plan that has to be executed with precision. Every second of that plan meticulously counted as each step is measured, as the clock ticks. Saints, in your darkness, you may wonder, how long, O oh Lord? But God knows how many more seconds until he arrives in the getaway car. The reward is his glory. The culminating treasure of, of his eternal plan, the, 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 the treasure of your suffering is his glory. He won't abandon you now. His stopwatch is going. He's going to arrive and he's going to turn his face toward you. There's only one righteous man who God has abandoned. And that's his own beloved son. On the cross, the son of David, Jesus Christ, called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those three hours of the wrath of God I'm sure he's crying out, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How much longer, O oh Lord? Christ truly was forsaken by God. But it was because he had to take our place as an offering for sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, For our sake he made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God allowed his son to take the fall for our sin so that we who believe in his son could become his beloved. His how long for his beloved will truly never be too long. He's on the way. Let's pray. And Father, I pray that all of us would find comfort in your word this morning, that we would be taught by it, for those who may be on the verge of despair and giving up, they would learn to keep calling out, keep bringing their request, and keep being committed to worship and being faithful to their covenant with you. Pray, Father, that you would help those of us who, who currently aren't feeling that, Lord, who maybe are in... Um, enjoying our relationship with you tremendously, Lord, that we'd be careful of, of judging and criticizing those who are in darkness, Lord, but that we would be encouraging them with your character and that you are on the way. Father, I pray that you'd be glorified in our pleading, 
that you would be glorified in our expressing our complaints, that you'd be glorified in our commitment to worship you. Thank you for being such a great and faithful God who has made uh, a way for us to become reconciled to you through your son so that we know no matter how long the how long is, it is not the eternal wrath of judgment we deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.